Our new series is on the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, uh, and our series title is called Building Together. And my talk for today is called Prayer and Battle. Interesting. But before I talk about prayer and battle in Nehemiah 2, which is what we're going to be reading from, um, I just thought I'd take this little opportunity to just say something about our series title, Building Together, because I thought here's a chance just to encourage us as a church in what we're doing here and what we're thinking about in this series. Um, And King's Church doesn't want to do things on its own. We don't want to do things as individuals on our own. We want to build things together as a church. But also, the King's Church is part of Open Gate Churches. I hope you all know that. Which is part of a, a grouping of churches in the south region of Oxfordshire and a bit beyond. But also, King's Church is part of Sultan Light Advance. Um, which is a sphere of churches, which is a, a larger grouping of churches, which we're all going to be camping with in the summer. And of course, Salt and Light Advance is part of the international movement of churches, Salt and Light. And so that's all because we want to build together. We're not, if we did it on our own, I don't feel that that's really what God is, would, is calling us to do, that if we do something together, we can build together and therefore achieve more for God. So we're part of something bigger, and we want to build together. We do that in our own little church as individuals, as part of a bigger thing called the King's Church, but the King's Church does that as well as part of the wider picture of the churches we're part of. Um, I was going to reference um, the wonderful football this week. <laughs> Liverpool and Tottenham, teams working and playing together, achieving something far more um, than um, maybe some individuals, that wonderful individual that is Messi. Well, he still couldn't win that tie, could he? So working together as a team. Yes, it was good football. I had to mention it on Sunday. (laughs) So we want to do things together as part of the King's Church. That's us as a group building something together as a whole church, but also the King's Church as part of a wider group of churches. So let's look at this uh, book of Nehemiah and continue to have that in mind. Uh, We are building something together. And I thought for my talk today, I'd use the words prayer and battle. And so as part of that, I thought I'd I'd use a wonderful illustration um, with a bow and arrow. (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm going to, before I launch into my talk and give you more uh, from the book of Nehemiah, I thought it'd be good to do my illustration first, just to see how we get on. So I would like a few volunteers. In fact, I'm going to pick on volunteers. Josh, I would like you to be a volunteer, please, if you'd like to come up. Um, Ruth, you're always game for a laugh, so could you come up, please? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And then I need two more just... Uh, you're going to be volunteers, two more volunteers who are just going to stand and not be involved in the same sort of way. So it's not going to be the same pressure as these two. (laughs) Um, Alenza, thank you. Anyone else would like to volunteer? And Claire, thank you. Okay. So there's two wonderful volunteers, Ruth and Josh. Don't fear too much. (laughs) Yeah, volunteers, not the right word. Claire, if you'd like to come over this side with Alenza. Um, 
um, we're just going to do a little bit of an archery session. <laughs> and Josh and Emma uh, are going to receive... Uh, sorry, Josh and Emma, you're Ruth. <laughs> you're Ruth. Emma is sitting down there. I thought I would spare her. <laughs> you're going to receive a scenario, and you just have to choose... A or B and what you're going to go for. And I'm going to give you an arrow to shoot as part of my illustration. I should, okay. I should say shoot. Yes, that is correct. Shoot. You don't fire. You shoot arrows. Yes, that's correct. I will reveal more about that later. Okay, who would like to go first in this wonderful game? Josh, yeah. Okay, Josh, there we go. And there's a quiver of arrows for you. Um, Elenza and Claire. You're the targets. <laughs> it figures. <laughs> yeah. So, Claire, you'd like to be A, and Elenza, you'd like to be B. If you'd like to just stand over here, just sort of this way. <laughs> okay, Josh. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't given you a scenario. <laughs> you're at work, and your work colleague says to you, these Christians, they're just as bad as all the other religions. If there was no religion in the world, wouldn't it be a better place? So, a tough question. What do you do? Do you A, you should choose either A or B. Um, say A is, one is that you do a great speech in response to this, make some excellent points that silences the person. Brings them to the Lord, yeah. <laughs> or B, do you stop for a moment, pray, and then answer their points? What would you do, Josh? A, you give it to them. <laughs> preach them. You're going to go for B. Okay, see if Josh can do it. Maybe not so high. Oh, did it work? No. These were no expense spared. Hey! <laughs> It's so that up. was this lined up, yeah. <laughs> These were an expensive prop. <laughs> Ruth, um, your scenario. <laughs> well done, Josh. Thank you. You can take a seat if you'd like. Yeah, yeah. Ruth, your scenario. You're at the school gate picking up your wonderful children, Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes ago, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, there's, uh, you're talking with a friend, and they say to you, I'd love to know a bit more about this Christian faith. Maybe even I've heard about Alpha. I'd like to talk to you about that. But just as you're about to talk, um, one of your church friends comes running up and steams in and says, Ruth, I really need to talk to you about that event that we're organising together this weekend. What do you do? Do you A, say a quick prayer and tell the church friend, you'll ring them later to sort out the details and carry on the conversation with your friend who's asked you about Christianity? Or do you B, Say a prayer and say to the friend that you're talking to about Christianity, you'll arrange a coffee with them to spend longer with them and answering their questions and then talk to your church friend about the events. What would you do? Was it A or I B? I like that one you assume either way I'm going to pray about it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that's very much how I live my life. Uh, a. I a. Although it makes no difference because I won't be able to hit whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Ruth. Oh. Come out there. I wonder if there's another way. Maybe you should go the other side, yes. Go the other side. Well, I, I don't know, but there we go. Maybe to keep it in line. <laughs> <laughs> Round of applause for my volunteers, please.
Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful. Ruth's point, a good one. I like the fact that you say a prayer before each answer. Mm. All will be revealed as we read Nehemiah. Okay. To give you a bit of context for the book, because some of you, uh, we're going to read from Nehemiah 2, but some of you last week may have been here. Some of you might not have been. Some of you may have been serving children, serving youth, or maybe you were seeing somebody else. So to help you understand where Nehemiah sits in the Old Testament, and also uh, a little bit about what's the context of going on in this book, um, I thought we could watch a video. So... That's good. Why is that not? Why is it gone, Chris? <laughs> As always. If you press play, see if it works. Happened long after it was written. Uh, no, I want the screen. <laughs> Try and plug it again, yeah, and do it that way, yeah. As always, with technology, it just never seems to quite work. Here we go. Yes. No. I'm glad I'm not going to act it out for you. Okay. Now the sound. Yeah. After it was yeah. written, it was originally a unified. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah. In most modern Bibles, these books are separate, but that division happened long after it was written. It was originally a unified work written by a single author. The story is set after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and its temple and took many of the people into exile. And this book picks up about 50 years later and tells the return of some Israelites to Jerusalem and then what happened when they rebuilt the city and their lives there. Specifically, the book focuses on three key leaders who led the rebuilding efforts. You have Zerubbabel, then Ezra, and then Nehemiah. And the book's design focuses on the efforts of each leader. Zerubbabel leads a large group of people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Then about 60 years later, Ezra arrives in Jerusalem to teach the Torah and rebuild the community. 
And then he's followed by Nehemiah, who leads the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. And these three stories are designed to be parallel. Each begins with the king of Persia, prompted by God to send the leader to Jerusalem, and he offers resources and support. And then each leader encounters opposition in their efforts, which they then overcome, but in a way that leads to a strange anticlimax in each of the three parts. Let's back up and see how it fits together. So the story begins with a decree from Nehemiah. He's an Israelite official serving in the Persian government, and when he hears about the ruined state of Jerusalem's walls, he prays and then gets permission from the Persian king Artaxerxes to go and rebuild the walls. The king even gives him an armed escort and all these resources. So after arriving in Jerusalem, he begins the building project, and he too faces opposition from the people who had already been living around Jerusalem. One okay. Chris, could you get my PowerPoint back up, please? <laughs> That's easier than me trying to do it. So just trying to give you a bit of context there, and I thought it'd be better to use some imagery from uh, something on uh, YouTube. So you can see that the Jews, they've been in exile, um, and they're returning to Jerusalem, uh, and now um, they're under the leadership of uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. Ezra appears also in this book of Nehemiah. Um, And this exile that they're now returning back to Jerusalem is a really important thing that goes on for the Jewish people. Um, Before uh, before it happens, uh, there's lots of uh, prophetic words about it. Then they're exiled out to Babylonia. And then at this time, we're picking up the story that they're just returning um, And Nehemiah is bringing the community back, or the community's already returned, but Nehemiah is going back specifically to rebuild the walls. Um, And we're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah 2, 1 to 10. So if you'd like to get your Bibles, uh, then it's Nehemiah 2, 1 to 10. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. 
I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along an army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And I'd like to make two points from this text this morning, looking at um, the prayer that Nehemiah prayed just before or just after the king has said to him, what can I do for you? And I'm going to call that an arrow prayer, hence my arrows (laughs) as an illustration, first thing. And then also, uh, the second point I want to make is about battle. And that when we step out for God, there is opposition. There always seems to be some sort of opposition to us stepping out for God and doing something for him. So as we look um, at the text, my first point around arrow prayers and those prayers that we need to pray in a moment, asking God to help us. If we look at the text, we can see Nehemiah working before the king and the king notices that his cupbearer is not happy or is looking unhappy and asks him why. And this is it. This is Nehemiah's opportunity that he's been waiting for. So what does he do? Does he launch into his speech? No, he stops briefly and says a prayer to God. It's that quick arrow prayer to God. And last week, Nick gave us a talk on Nehemiah 1. And actually a large chunk of Nehemiah 1 is Nehemiah's prayer. Prayer before God. And it gave us a sort of structure of how to pray. And one of those things was remembering God and who God is. Um, and that Nehemiah um, is doing that there in that moment. He's remembering who God is and who God, and God can help him. So he prays that quick arrow prayer. Um, but also what Nick highlighted, which was a really good point, was that um, Nehemiah 1 highlights that uh, he heard the news of the city walls being destroyed by fire and was... Um, sad and upset at that, hearing that news, and he prays and fasts. Now, that's in the month of, uh, how do you say it, Chizilev, is that right? Chizilev. But about November. That happens in November. Well, in chapter 2, we've just read, it says in the month of Nisan is when he spoke to the king. So actually, the month of Nisan is recorded as March time for us. So there's three or four months gap in between of actually hearing the news and actually putting his request to the king. So he was saying he was going to pray and fast, so he probably prayed and fast, prays and fasted quite a long time in that time, three or four months maybe, and he's waiting for that opportunity to speak to the king. And the king gives him that opportunity finally by saying, why are you sad, what is wrong with you? He responds, doesn't he? And he responds with an arrow prayer, a quick arrow prayer, help me God as I make my request to the king. 
And he's asking God into that situation. He's saying to God, help me. And he's asking God into that situation. Why am I calling it an arrow prayer? Well, I'm calling it an arrow prayer because um, here uh, is my father-in-law. Here he is, David Hill. It's Francesca and uh, Isaac when he was about, I don't know, six months maybe, something like that. Um, and uh, when I first met Francesca, um, I met my father-in-law-to-be, David, and uh, he is a very keen archer, and he spent many years of his life um, doing archery himself, but also teaching it, even up to the age of 84. He was teaching uh, children how to do archery. And uh, he would tell me, <laughs> uh, he also, uh, he would tell me about arrow prayers, and uh, he would uh, quickly, I don't know, at the dinner table, challenge me about different points in the Bible uh, about these things. And uh, he even wrote a book called An Archer Looks at the Bible. So he loves his Bible, he knows his Bible well. Uh, and he wrote a little bit around this text in Nehemiah saying, it's the, an example of an arrow prayer. Help me, God. That's all you need to say. It doesn't need to be a long time of prayer and fasting. It's just a quick little, help me, God. Help me in this situation. And uh, so I've remembered that. And I just think it's a really good little way to look at this piece of text. To remember that in the situations we face, the conversations in the school gate, um, conversations um, in work, when something happens and you need to respond well, actually, just respond quickly and say, Lord, help me, please, before you respond to that person, just to give you the words and the actions. It's just a quick prayer, but it makes such a difference. Uh, and very quickly, um, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, I was down at the Methodist church, and um, my bike was outside. <laughs> I had a meeting in the Methodist church. My bike was outside, and a group of young people started hanging around outside. And I was like, oh, I better go out and see what they're up to. And they basically were like, this is my bike. I'm like, no, this is my bike. And they're like, no, this is my bike. And there was about sort of six, seven or eight of them. Being a youth worker in my past, I thought, oh, I'll be able to handle this situation. But actually, they were really persistent. And their front of this young person who was trying to get my bike was, was quite aggressive, actually. And um, it went on and on, then they went away, and then they came back again. Uh, and at that, that time, Nick and all the other pastors had left me. <laughs> Thanks. And I was on my own, and I was like, if I unlock this bike to go myself, uh, I think they were just going to try and take it off me, because there was about eight or nine of them. So I just was like, literally... I'd tried all the different things as a youth worker I would do. I just prayed a quick prayer. I was like, Lord, help me here. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. And then a couple of minutes later, the group must have just got bored because nothing was happening. So he was sort of trying to challenge me. And the next second, all his mates had just walked off <laughs> and just left him. So he wasn't going to stay. He just then left himself. Um, but it was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Because... I didn't quite know how I was going to get out of that situation. But just that little arrow prayer. Please help me, God, here. Just made all the difference. So my first point is, 
is we look at this text and we see Nehemiah um, say a quick prayer and then speak to the king. We can apply that to our own lives. When we have situations we face, we can say a quick prayer. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And my second point that I'd like to make is that when we do things for God, um, when we step out in faith, um, things can happen. We can expect to have a battle on our hands, an opposition. And I owe some of this application from um, a Bible teacher uh, called Bob Dunnett, who um, 20 odd years ago uh, talked, preached on this subject around Nehemiah and the whole book of Nehemiah and opposition and battle, and it has stuck with me. But as we read at the end of that text in verses 9 and 10, we see that um, it says here, the king has heard Nehemiah's request and he's granted him all the resources, the letters of approval to go back and rebuild the city walls. Um, But we see the first part of the opposition that we get throughout the first few chapters of Nehemiah, which says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And Sanballat and Tobiah, their concerns, they start, they start to um, dishearten the people. They do that verbally. Then they plot physically to fight with the uh, people as they rebuild the walls. Uh, and then they try to distract Nehemiah, trying to get him to come out of Jerusalem. And again, we'll read about that and hear about that later in the series. But this is the start of their opposition. And so I just wanted to draw out briefly that um, when we step out for God, when we pray, um, we can expect opposition to happen. It's not going to be plain sailing for us. There will be things that go on that distract us, that take us away from what God is calling us to do. Um, And I don't want to over-spiritualise this uh, because um, I know that some people might have uh, heard some Christians talk about a daily battle, daily opposition. Oh, I was going to go and uh, go downtown and do my shopping, and then the phone rang, and then I couldn't go town, downtown. That's not what I'm talking about here. Um, uh, I'm talking about significant step out for God that you want to do. You want to step out for God, um, but there then comes opposition to you making that step. There comes a distraction, or there comes a sort of a verbal attack, or maybe even physical. Um, and C.S. Lewis, I thought, just in saying that it's, it's important to note that there will be opposition, and that uh, the devil will not want us to do things for, for Jesus and to step out for God. And C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, which is a very interesting read if you want to read. Uh, but at the beginning... In his um, introduction, he really just says this thing, which is quite important for remembering about opposition, and we might want to over-spiritualize things. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And I thought that actually uh, is really important. When we face opposition, let's not just trivialise it and go, oh, it's nothing. Um, 
when there is opposition, let's also pray into it uh, and pray for God to protect us and to help us. Uh, but also, uh, not to go over the top and over the board about it, saying about this opposition here, opposition there. This is going wrong. Uh, so it's paying attention, but not paying too much attention to it, is the application that I want us to encourage us with. And actually, um, before Easter, uh, as some of you will know, we were doing the Good Friday um, service in town. And uh, Fran uh, got shingles. I had this grand idea of using a blueberry brass band and using it as part of my talk. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, in the beginning of April, Fran... Um, got shingles and was quite unwell and that sort of meant that I had lots, a bit more to do at home and then uh, uh, I had a week off Easter holidays so I wasn't going to do any work in that and then I had four days left before Good Friday to write my, my talk <laughs> on the Sunday um, Martha fell over uh, and bashed her tooth so that it was completely broken uh, and uh, so therefore the next day uh, was spent going up to the JR and myself looking after Reuben and Isaac at home. Uh, and then the following day, they said they would operate. So that next day was taking up with the operation and dealing with that. Um, and I just chatted to a couple of people and said, I think we just need to pray, actually. There's just a little bit of opposition going on here. You need to pray. Um, so I did. So we prayed and gave me two days to <laughs> bring my talk together uh, to make it work and to practice with Blueberry Brass Band. Um, but God is gracious, God is good, God provided. It focused my mind to pray about it, but then also to be really focused on what I was doing. And um, Ruth was there, God was at work, it was a real blessing. Uh, and um, you know, wonderful um, feedback we've received from different people uh, and different churches. Uh, and someone saying to me that they really met with Jesus when they heard the talk and heard the sermon. So that was wonderful to hear um, and important to recognize the opposition going on and to pray into that and then focus afterwards. So I want to uh, really, uh, just to conclude and bring things together, is that if you want to step out for God, as we look at Nehemiah doing that here in this text, um, you're going to have to pray. And prayer will be a significant thing. We'll continue to mention that in this series. You're going to have to pray. And some of that involves lengthy prayer, praying and fasting for a long period of time. But some of that also, from today's passage, just involves a little arrow prayer. Just a quick prayer. Help me, God. Help me in this situation. And that if we do that, and as we do step out and we pray, um, we've got to expect there will be opposition to that and a bit of a battle on our hands. So we need to pray and continue to pray for God to protect us and to provide for us and to help us, as Nehemiah did. So as a church or as an individual, as we build together, we need to remember to, as we step out in faith, um, that we need to say those little arrow prayers of, Lord, help me. But also to remember there will be opposition and to pray into that opposition that's going on, asking God to protect us. And I'd like us just to finish with a very simple prayer to say together. And it's a prayer that uh, Christians have prayed uh, throughout 
uh, the centuries, and it comes from Psalm 70. But it's just a simple prayer that says, O Lord, make haste to help me. Um, So as a whole congregation, it would be wonderful if we could just say that um, twice together, and then um, we'll just have a moment of prayer, and then Nick will finish. Okay, so... O Lord, make haste to help me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Lord, we thank you um, that you do respond to our prayers, that you hear our prayers, however long or however short, tiny that they may be. Lord, I want to thank you... um, as we learn about Nehemiah and what happened to him and the people, uh, that we can learn about what it is to follow you um, and to call out to you in prayer and to see you provide for your people in the face of opposition. Lord, help us as a church to do that and to see that in the town as well of Didcot and the surrounding villages. We pray these prayers now in Jesus' name. Amen.